So I'm here with uh, Laurie McFarlane of the New Economics Foundation. Laurie has, with various other people, a new book out called Rethinking the Economics of Land and Housing. Um, just to kick us off, Laurie, can you explain to us why you think that's an important question to think about? Well, when you look at the UK uh, economy today, many of the key challenges facing uh, the UK economy, but not just the UK economy, advanced economies in general, um, so whether it's things like uh, the housing crisis or growing inequality or uh, stagnation, intergenerational divide or uh, even things like financial instability, uh, many of these issues can actually be uh, rooted in uh, the land economy and housing, which, uh, as we talk about in the book, is in modern economies, the main uh, sort of economic function of land in, in, in modern advanced economies. And I suppose if you think about it, you know, a house is the most kind of valuable thing that a person might normally own if they do own it, or if they live in it, it's their major cost. It's the biggest thing you know, rent is the highest expense. So, you know, it's got to be at the centre of any question of economics is that yeah exactly i mean i mean in in the uk for example today housing uh represents about 60 percent of total net wealth uh so when you look at the total balance sheet of the uk economy all the assets minus all the liabilities housing by far is the biggest one and within housing uh that's made up of two parts the building on top and the land that sits underneath uh, and actually, uh, the, for the most part, it's the land that actually takes up the the biggest chunk. Uh, so even in you know modern advanced economies, uh, you know, with all the technological uh, advancement that we have, land uh, is by far uh, the biggest uh, asset that we have, and 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 is the biggest sort source of of wealth uh, that we have in the UK today. Mm, it's a hugely important issue at the core of any question about where we're at with our economy now and where we're going. But before we go to those things, there's also a kind of fascinating and rich history in the politics and economics of land in this country. Um, And we're in England right now, and also we're both from Scotland, so I'm sure you might touch on that a bit. It's a bit separate, but uh, can you just give us a sense of, you know, how how questions around land have been thought about in the past before we get to how we're going to think about them in the future? Yeah, absolutely. So land uh, clearly uh, is is essential for all uh, economic activity in life itself. It's uh, you know free gift of nature, the the fundamental uh, thing that we need to live and exist. Um, and for the early uh, pioneers of of, for example, political economy, your classical economists, people like Adam Smith, John Stuart Mill, Marx, etc., um, they recognised that land, uh, the control, ownership and use of it was essential to the processes of, of production and distribution of, of wealth. Um, and capitalism itself, uh, as, a, as a, an economic system, is fundamentally born out of a quite radical shift in uh, our, our system of, of, of land tenure and fundamentally the, the, uh, the idea of private property in land in particular. Uh, which is actually quite a new concept, uh, historically speaking, and something that would have been alien to quite a lot of uh, historic civilizations around the world, and indeed still so would be today. Um, and this idea that what was previously a common resource that was could be used uh, for anyone for food, for shelter, uh, could suddenly be transformed into a private uh, ownership, uh, a sort of commodity that could be traded. Um, and that actually, if you want to use it, you have to pay rent to someone. Um, is is quite a was quite a radical new break from history, 
uh, and it threw up all kinds of issues. Um, and, and it's interesting to, when you look back at how the early thinkers on economics, political economy, tried to deal with these issues that it threw up. Um, because on the one hand, you have uh, this, uh, this, this, this problem where income uh, can be extracted through basically just owning uh, a land, which, as I said, is, was a, uh, a previous a common asset. Um, and you charge rent to workers uh, and, and capitalists alike purely on the basis of your ownership of it. And that's a problem that was recognised uh, through a lot of the, the, the early thinkers. But on the other hand, uh, private property land was seen as essential to this sort of dynamic capitalist mode of production, which has given this huge uh, explosion in, in wealth and technology, etc. Um, and this sort of double-edged sword, if you like, of private property and land, uh, we think was best summed up by uh, Proudhon, who said that property is theft because of its exclusionary nature. But he also said property uh, is liberty. Um, and it's interesting because the, the, the classical economists tried to set about addressing this sort of te fundamental tension in the idea of private property and land. Um, and they did this by separating out uh, income that's derived from uh, production, engaging in, in producing things from income that is derived purely from uh, an ownership and control over a naturally scarce resource, mainly land. Uh, and they described the income from the latter as unearned income and or they called it economic rent. Um, and they thought that not only is this, uh, you know, morally dubious, is it quite unfair, but it's actually economically inefficient to have lots of economic rent because uh, it means that landlords can effectively uh, absorb much of the gains that are created through economic growth by simply any any time uh, wages increase, etc. They can just increase the rent and absorb that for themselves while not really doing anything, not really contributing anything. And so they thought that this was fundamentally a bad thing, uh, even from a, a sort of a, a sort of a, a, a capitalist point of view in terms of creating wealth. Um, and so much of the thinking around that around that time was how do you sort of limit this problem? And they, there was various disagreements on how you would do that. You know, Marx wanted nationalisation of land. Uh, you're more uh, liberal economists wanted taxation of, of land rent to sort of fund public expenditure, uh, etc. Um, so what's interesting then is when we fast forward a little bit in time uh, towards the early 20th century, you had the revolution in, in economics, where the birth of, of neoclassical economics. Um, and we talk about what happened this in, in quite a lot of the books, it's really fascinating because um, this sort of idea of uh, looking at land as, as having sort of special characteristics in economic rent was was basically marginalised entirely, uh, and instead you had the, the what was now called as the marginal productivity theory, where income is derived basically as a reward for purely for your contribution to production, and wealth is basically your savings that you accumulate from foregoing uh, consumption, uh, and really economic rent was has really been completely sort of overlooked. Um, uh, and sort of windfalls that can arise from that have been completely overlooked and, and the, you know, incomes are seen as basically being a reward for differences in productivity, skills uh, and effort. So just to, just to clarify that distinction, you're saying, you know, traditionally there would have been seen as a distinction between income through economic rent, where you're just charging people to use a piece of land that you own for some reason, um, perhaps you inherited it or whatever, but you're not doing any work on that land. On the other hand, income that's derived through some work you have done yourself. 
Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. And that was a key distinction that was made um, historically. And it's something that has been sort of cast over, overlooked entirely in, in, in modern economics. Every form of income is sort of viewed to be uh, earned just as productively as, as others. Cool. So that's very helpful. And that's a great um, history of our understanding of these concepts. But I think the other thing that we were talking about just before we started recording and that I found fascinating is that often when we talk about land we almost always end up in the history and we're talking about kind of feudal politics and movements against enclosures when I think one of the arguments you make in the book is this debate is as relevant now as it ever has been. Yeah exactly and the, the, I guess the key thrust that we make in the book is that this problem, this tension uh, that arises through uh, basically of economic rent uh, is absolutely alive and well uh, in the 21st century uh, it's just sort of mutated and taken on a different form. It's manifested itself differently, and that's because uh, our economies have changed dramatically. So no longer are we uh, sort of dominated by agriculture. Um, instead, land rule has changed to today, where primarily it's about housing. And housing uh, today, as I said, is, is, is by far the biggest, uh, is biggest asset in not just the UK economy, but most economies. Um, more widely and so it's it's through housing that many of these problems manifest themselves most uh, most profoundly today um, and in the book one of the things that we do we sort of track the, the recent history of this in the UK and how things have uh, have changed um, and basically what, what we sort of cover is that much of the increase in the paper wealth if you like so in accounting sense the wealth that's happened in the UK uh, particularly since since World War Two, has actually been uh, not a result of effectively producing more stuff. Uh, it's basically a result of increases in house prices, so asset price inflation. Uh, and we track there's a, there's a fascinating sort of uh, history of changes that have contributed to this, and that covers things like the promotion of homeownership, particularly post uh, post World War Two, the sort of notion of a property owning democracy. Changes in subsidies and taxation, which has, again, favoured this. Um, most critically, however, it's been the liberalisation of the financial sector, which happened uh, beginning in the 1970s, which unleashed this flood of uh, credit and money into the housing market. Um, and to the point where today, banks basically are uh, mortgage providers. That's basically what they do. They don't really lend to businesses or anything like that to any great extent anymore. My overwhelming amount is, is lending into um, into housing market. And for me, that takes us back, in a way, to another couple of terms people sometimes use to talk about the same distinction we talked about before, speculation and investment. And I wonder if you could just uh, explain briefly what, how you might see the difference between those two things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and and... This is basically critical to the situation today because when we talk about housing, for example, you know, a hundred years ago, housing was mainly seen as uh, you know somewhere to live, a secure place to live. Whereas today, home ownership uh, is viewed as uh, houses in general as a kind of financial asset, as uh, uh, something that can be a vehicle for accumulating wealth uh, and for speculating on, um, and particularly, it's it's a it's an ideal asset for speculating on because f finance likes to have collateral to lend against and there's no better collateral than land because it can't go anywhere, it's fixed, it's eternal, uh, it's scarce. Um, and we talk about that a bit in the history of that in, in the book as well. Um, and one of the things that I think is interesting in particular when we're talking about uh, uh, 
this this sort of financialization of housing uh, is the massive implications that it has uh, for both inequality and in the debate around uh, supply of housing uh, in the UK today and as well in terms of financial stability. We saw uh, most recently, of course, the financial crisis in 2008, but actually when you look back at many of the recent financial crisis, uh, both not in the UK but also all around the world, uh, overwhelmingly the, the biggest ones, the most serious ones, tend to be uh, around booms and busts in the property market, in the land market, for, for some of the reasons that we discussed. Um, and there's a basic, when we come back to this, how this double-edged sword uh, sort of permeates itself in modern uh, economies. In the UK today, rising house prices or land prices, if you happen to be a property owner, that represents an increase in your wealth, makes you more wealthy, uh, increases your spending power. Um, whereas if you're not a property owner, it means higher rents in the rental market, it means having to save more uh, for a deposit as well. So you have this uh, drive this wedge that's been driven between people who own property uh, and people um, who don't. Um, and really the idea in the UK today that, that sort of wealth is a result of hard work and effort and you know ingenuity and things like that, which is quite a sort of a dominant you know, you know, paradigm that exists, uh, it really doesn't bear out at all in the evidence at all. Um, it's really a result of uh, a, a growing gap between those who had access to property to begin with uh, and those who and those who haven't um, and the other the other interesting facet of this is that because we're in a situation now where so much of the population's wealth is tied up in the buoyancy of the housing market it's created this kind of per political paralysis because politicians um, to do anything that would either increase the, the supply of housing or do anything to address affordability would fundamentally be uh, not in the interests of large chunks of the population whose 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 financial wealth is bound up in house prices either at least maintaining if not increasing in the future and so there's this sort of paralysis that we're in and we call it in the book this low supply equilibrium where no government is really willing or able to tackle this problem um because of this fundamental tension that exists there and and uh, another thing we've often talked about an open democracy is that in Britain there's also a crisis of productive investment that people don't you know if you have a thousand pounds that you want to invest you are often you know more likely to put that into buying a flat in London which will just become more expensive rather than putting it into investing in someone who's invented a new kind of device that's going to revolutionize the way that we do something and make our lives better and um and I suppose you know for me an absolutely crucial part of of what you're writing about and the reason this ties into the whole economic crisis in Britain at the moment is that housing sucks in all of the savings that we have into speculation and doing something that's not productive at all which is making houses more expensive rather than investing in inventing the future and developing a new economy that you know that works people. Yeah exactly and that's this is again this is the modern manifestation of what the classical economists were talking about back when they were saying that this is uh, economic rent is fundamentally bad from a you know pr productive point of view because it means that uh, it sucks in people's people's savings when you're looking to invest. It's be it's better financially to invest it in something unproductive like owning land and property than it is to actually get it into something uh, socially uh, useful. And certainly, uh, when we look today at in the in the UK in particular, this is a huge huge issue and really goes to the heart of some of the, the big issues that we've been talking about. Similarly with banks as well, um, 
today, astonishingly, four, only 4% 4 of total bank lending is for small, medium-sized enterprises, despite the fact that they're absolute lifeblood of the economy in terms of employment and things like that. Uh, they're just not interested in doing that and lending that because they can make much more money lending for uh, lending to finance the purchase of already existing assets, i.e. property and land, uh, which has just has the effect of inflating the price. So we've got this huge problem. We've got you know um, increased homelessness. We've got people being priced out of housing and spending more and more of their incomes on housing. The only kind of long term effect of that is that we're making homes more expensive for each other. We're not you know doing anything productive at all with our savings in this country. Um, we've got as you say a political block on that because any government that does anything that might risk house prices falling or even just not going up is thinks it's going to lose the next election. Uh, it feels like a you know absolutely central problem to British politics and economics, what should be done about it? Well, the first thing to, to say is that um, because land and property uh, itself is, is intimately bound up with legal frameworks uh, and, and law, um, any idea that starts from the proposition of sort of minimising state involvement, you sometimes hear people say, you know, the government just needs to get out of the way, we need to do you know, planning as a problem and things like that. If we just sort of let the market decide, then that would, that would be, uh, that's what we need. Um, that just can't succeed because there can never, ever be, uh, a, you know, a, any notion of a free market in land because it's fundamentally bound up in laws around uh, property ownership and tenure, etc. And again, this is something that actually modern economics isn't particularly comfortable with because it sees itself as a sort of a, a value-free science um, that, that doesn't get involved in politics, whereas uh, issues around land are fundamentally political because they're about uh, laws and customs, etc. Um, but on the other hand, the, this, the, sort of the land problem is not something that uh, can be solved with a, you know, a single policy. There's no single bullet that can be uh, deployed here to sort of solve this problem uh, overnight. And instead, we really need a multi-pronged approach covering a whole range of areas. So things like ownership, tenure, planning, tax, and particular financial regulation. Um, but there's really, I think, five or six key objectives that we should be aiming at uh, when we're talking about any, any package of reform to try and tackle this. And I think the first thing that needs to be done critically is uh, efforts to level the playing field, basically, between uh, different types of tenure, so ownership, um, and, and, and renting to sort of stop this problem where people are massively incentivized to overinvest uh, in home ownership, which, which is a big problem. Um, the second thing I think we need to do is absolutely make uh, the housing supply less dependent on the volatile market of, of, of land, uh, the sort of boom and bust uh, tendency that you have in markets and land. And I think this, this entails things like boosting the stock of non-market housing, so things like social housing, but also uh, community-led models. We talk a lot about innovative things like community land trusts and things like that, which hold some real real potential as well. Um, and one of the most important uh, things, and we go into depth uh, in the book in this, is to break the positive feedback cycle between uh, land prices and uh, the financial system, uh, which is you know overwhelmingly the, the number one factor in the boom in house prices and land prices we've had in recent decades is because of this feedback effect that you have between money flowing in through the financial system into um, and there's various different things that, that, that we can do there in terms of uh, financial regulation in terms of the types of mortgage products that are being provided we go into quite a lot of detail in that in the book um, the other thing that uh, i think is absolutely critical here is to capture 
the uplift in the value of land uh, for public uh, for public use. And again, this is an old idea. This goes back to many of the classical economists were, were advocating this so through sort of land value tax. Um, but there's various other mechanisms you can do to use this. You can do it through the planning system. You can do it through other land value capture mechanisms. But fundamentally, the principle is the increases in the value of land, which fundamentally arise not through the individual effort of you know the individual landlord, but from the the result of the wider economic activity in the area. Uh, so just to give a concrete example of that, when the Jubilee Line in London was extended um, back in the early 2000s, the properties in the adjacent uh, area, uh, the value of them increased by, I think it was about £13 billion, just as a result of the uh, increased public investment in infrastructure in that area. Uh, and we talk about where this is different models that are applied in different parts of the world that work very effectively, for example, in Hong Kong, Singapore and South Korea where you're capturing that uplift in the value of land and using it to actually pay for the infrastructure in the first place. So it's the sort of self-financing mechanisms. Um, so that, that's absolutely critical. Um, the last thing which uh, is important, particularly when we're talking about the context of the UK, is really relying, uh, sort of reducing our reliance on the housing market uh, as a means for accumulating wealth and particularly for paying for things like retirement and old age. There's a real sense today that you know, you need to get on the housing ladder because you need to have this asset, you need to have it there for when you retire um, as a form of security. Uh, and this is partly a, a, a sort of a, a poor substitute for proper social provision and care in old age. And, and we really need to tackle that head on um, because it's just not true that that is the only or even the best way to sort of deal with, with uh, you know, care and protection in old age. There's plenty of other countries, many of the most successful countries actually, uh, homeownership isn't isn't the dominant uh, form of, of living. Look at places like Germany and Switzerland, for example. And so, really, to break that connection between you know having a, 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 a having your wealth tied up in housing, and having long term economic security, particularly in old age. Mm. And so, and as I understand it, you know, you talk about Germany there. Um, in Germany, house prices haven't gone up much for the last forty years or so. Is that right? Yeah, they haven't gone up uh, really at all. Uh, in fact, and and again, there's plenty of other. South Korea is another really interesting example. In real terms, house prices have become much cheaper, hmm. um, and Singapore has. Uh, Singapore uh, is, is similar, though in Singapore, ninety percent of the land is actually owned by the state in Singapore, um, which is interesting because Singapore, at particular moment, is used as this sort of example of a laissez-faire kind of you know free market economy uh we say 90 percent of lands owned by the state 85 percent of housing is, is public housing um uh, similarly in south korea uh they have a, a system of, uh, of of public land banks corporations whose role it is is to uh, buy up uh, land manage the stewardship of land make sure it's being put to effective use stopping speculation and things like that and it works much more effectively so there's a lot to learn from other examples around the world and we go into quite a lot of detail in that in the book as well that's fantastic so uh the book is called it's called rethinking the economics of land and housing it's published uh, by Z books uh, in association with the new economics foundation and you can get it uh, in all good bookshops, but we'd recommend going to the Z website um, because they're a really great publisher, a really good worker co-op, and would rather go there than Amazon, so check it out. Fantastic, good stuff. Do check that out. Thanks for listening.